Uh, Deuteronomy 29 and 30 open. We obviously won't go through these passages exhaustively, but we will refer to them several times this morning. Uh, as we think about the choice of covenant renewal, the choice of covenant renewal. <clears throat> the history of the Christian church demonstrates that at key and opportune moments, covenant renewal is a biblical and useful practice. These may be moments of danger, moments of challenge, or moments of great revival and reformation. In 1638, the National Covenant of Scotland was signed by a huge proportion of the Scottish population. That covenant was a result of a challenge that the Scottish Church faced. King Charles I was trying to impose drastic changes upon the Church's doctrine and practice, changes that were unbiblical. And which would effectively have made the church a puppet of the king. And godly people saw that as an opportunity to rally together. To publicly declare allegiance to Christ as king and head of the church and the nation. Beyond Scotland, uh, covenant, covenanting and covenant renewal have been practiced widely. They were practiced widely in the years following the Reformation in Europe. French Protestants persecuted by the Catholic monarchy entered into covenant renewal. Hungarian Reformed churches practiced covenant renewal. And many other Christians and churches have done likewise down through the centuries. In more recent times, Christian leaders and churches have occasionally made declarations or public statements of commitment to one or two particular aspects of of, uh, biblical teaching. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, I got an email asking me to sign what's been called the Greater Love Declaration. It's been signed now by more than a thousand church leaders in the United Kingdom. And it commits those of us who have signed it to the Bible's teaching on marriage and sexuality and identity. And the words covenant renewal don't actually appear in that declaration. And it doesn't commit those of us who have signed it to anything new. Rather, we recommit to what is already true, to what all human beings should already believe and practice when it comes to the issues of marriage, sexuality and identity. And so again, the the words covenant renewal maybe don't appear in that greater love declaration, but it is in a sense uh, a sort of a covenant renewal light, if you like. It's renewing commitments that should already be there. And so at key and opportune moments, friends, covenant renewal is a useful and a biblical practice for the church to undertake. We see it in the Bible and we see it in the history of the Christian church. The Old Testament includes 10 examples of covenant renewal. Two in the days of Moses, two in the days of Joshua, four in the era of the kings and two in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah. And today, as we look at this covenant renewal in Deuteronomy, we see that it took place at a key and opportune moment. As I explained earlier, the nation of Israel is standing on the plains of Moab, on the border with the promised land of Canaan. After 40 years of wandering the wilderness, they are finally about to cross the border and take the land. God, through Moses, having led them to this point. But before they cross the border, God through Moses leads them 
into covenant renewal. I want to see three things about this covenant renewal in the days of Moses this morning. First of all, I want to think about the need for covenant renewal. The need for this particular covenant renewal. Notice Deuteronomy 29 verse 1. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord God commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab. Besides, or we could translate it as, in addition to, or following on from, the covenant that he made with them at Horeb. Now Horeb in the Old Testament is another name for Sinai, where God had given the people the Ten Commandments and all those other laws for life in the nation of Israel. The book of Deuteronomy gives the people the commandments and the laws all over again. As I said, the name of the book literally means the second giving of the law. And so there is nothing new in the book of Deuteronomy. The Ten Commandments appear again in Deuteronomy chapter 5. The civil and ceremonial laws are summarized in Deuteronomy. The laws that had already been given in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. So nothing has changed about the laws that the people have been given. And of course the God that they are being called to obey has not changed either. He is the unchanging God. So what has changed since God first gave the law, the the covenant at Horeb? Well the people have changed. The men and women who stand before Moses on the plains of Moab were little children or at most teenagers when they came out of Egypt. Their parents and grandparents are dead. They've all died in the desert. And you remember why? Because when they first came to the border of the promised land 40 years before, they didn't trust God to give them the land. You remember God told them to send in spies so they could get an idea of what the land looked like. And the spies bring back a bad report And they tell the people the land's too difficult for us. We're going to be wiped out by the people that live there. And they doubted God's promises. And they didn't trust God's word. And so they didn't receive God's blessings. And every single one of them died in the desert. Except for Joshua and Caleb. The only men who had faith that God could take them into the promised land. And so now a new generation stands before Moses. Moses himself is 120 years old. He's about to die as well. He will not go across the border with the people. And Moses is preaching to this new generation and he is urging them, commit yourselves to your covenant God. Don't make the same mistake that your parents and grandparents made. Don't forget the covenant that God has made with you. And look how Moses impresses upon these people uh, the fact that their God has provided for them so wonderfully up until now. Verse 5. I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. This is Deuteronomy 29 verse 5. Your clothes have not worn out in you and your sandals have not worn off your feet. You have not eaten bread and you have not drunk wine or strong drink that you may know that I am the Lord. What he's saying there is that they haven't eaten or, or, or drunk in the normal way. They haven't had all kinds of food to eat. They haven't had all kinds of wine to drink. Because instead God has been providing for them the manna and the water in the wilderness. God has supplied them with everything they need. And so Moses is saying to the people here, 
This is the God that you are to trust in. The God who has already provided everything for you up until now. He's urging them to look back and to think and to remember how God has brought them this far. Brought them out of Egypt. Brought them through the Red Sea. Given them the clothes and the, and the sandals on their feet and the, the, the food and drink for their stomachs. Notice Moses' warning in chapter 29 verse 18. Chapter 29 verse 18. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who when he hears the words of this sworn covenant. Blesses himself in his heart saying I shall be safe. Though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. What he's saying there is don't be arrogant and don't be complacent. Don't tolerate even one person who tries to lead you astray into idolatry and sin. And what he's saying as well is don't be thinking that just because you're the generation that will cross the border and enter the land. That you'll be okay no matter what you do. That you can worship however you like or live however you like. You're still in covenant with your God. And this new generation are urged by Moses to remember this. To remember what God has done for them in the past. And to recommit themselves to him in the present and for the future. And in many ways, friends, we're engaging in covenant renewal for similar reasons today. As I've explained over the last few weeks, one of the main reasons that our denomination decided to undertake covenant renewal was because of what happened at the end of 2019 in Northern Ireland. A redefinition of marriage and the liberalising of abortion was imposed upon us by Westminster. But that's not to say that everything was hunky-dory in the United Kingdom up until then. Now, those changes were just the latest in a torrent, uh, and not just to our laws, but in the general culture and attitude of our country uh, that is causing people to drift further and further away from God and the commands that he's given us in the scriptures. We've seen a generational shift around us in our country today in regard to God and his word. What could have been described as a Christian nation in the past is no longer really a Christian nation today. It may nominally be in some sense, but in real terms, in many ways, we are a post-Christian nation And so there is a need for us today to restate our commitment to the kingship of Christ. Consider as well what's happening inside parts of the visible church. Caving into the world's pressures. Unbiblical forms of worship. Toleration of sin. In the name of progress and inclusion. Lack of commitment to the authority of scripture. Acceptance of false teaching. And it's not that we think, friends, that by undertaking covenant renewal, a few hundred covenanters that we are today in Northern Ireland, it's not that we think that everyone's suddenly going to pay attention to us and that we're going to instantly change everybody's minds by doing this. Only God can do that by his word and spirit. But this is a key moment for us to ask ourselves, in the midst of this generational shift that we've seen around us, am I committed Are we committed to obeying the God who has shown us covenant love no matter what is going on around us?
Moses reminded these people of all that God had done for them. Consider how much God has done for us through Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of all God's covenant promises. Jesus Christ took the the curses of the covenant that you can read about in Deuteronomy 28. He took them upon himself. The law of Moses said, cursed is the one hanged upon a tree. And Jesus Christ died a death of being hung on a tree. He was taking the covenant curses for disobedience upon himself. By his wounds we are healed. His righteousness can be our righteousness. Faith in him means that we never have to face death in its fullest form. And this Jesus says to his friends, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will keep my commandments. No matter how much the world slides into sin or how much the visible church seems to compromise, are we committed to the commandments of Jesus Christ? Can we say, like Peter once said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There was a need for covenant renewal as the people of Israel stood on the border of the promised land. A new generation and a new time that needed to remember and recognize what God had done for them. And similarly today, friends, as we find ourselves in a culture that is sliding further and further away from God's word, it is a key and opportune moment for covenant renewal. So the need for covenant renewal. But secondly today, the format of this covenant renewal. The format of this covenant renewal. If you remember the the definition of covenant that I gave you last week, a covenant is a solemn, binding, personal commitment between two parties. And in the ancient world, in the time of Moses and the Israelites, covenants were very, very common. By no means was God's covenant the only one in the ancient world. Let's say your, your land, your territory was taken over by a foreign ruler. Well, that ruler could choose to make a covenant with you. Uh, perhaps promising to let you and your people live if you submitted to his rule and his kingship. He would let you continue to live in your land, perhaps even to worship your God if you gave your support to him. The covenant that God made with Abraham and which he renewed with this generation of Israelites here very much follows the format of a typical covenant from the ancient world. And as part of the format of of those covenants, There are two sides, two parties, uh, two different sets of people. Promises are made and actions are then required. So we want to think first of all about the parties involved. And we're just going to move through all these very briefly. But uh, we see here in Deuteronomy the parties involved in this covenant renewal. If you look at chapter 29 verse 10. You're standing today, all of you, before the Lord your God. And the word standing there, it's not the usual Hebrew word for standing. It's a word that means standing as part of a a formal ceremony. Standing the way some of the soldiers perhaps have done this morning as the acts of remembrance have taken place. Standing to attention or standing as part of a formal ceremony. You're standing today, all of you, Before the Lord your God. And notice this. The heads of your tribes. Your elders. Your officers. All the men of Israel. Your little ones. Your wives. The sojourner who is in your camp. 
uh, the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God. Notice, friends, nobody is left out of this. Everyone from the leaders of Israel, the elders, to the children. And I hope as good Presbyterians you notice throughout the readings today how little ones and children are mentioned. Boys and girls, in a few weeks' time when your mums and dads sign the covenant, we'll also be writing down all of your names uh, to say that you were there and you saw your parents sign the covenant. Because God cares just as much about you and wants you to know him and trust him and love him just as your parents have done. And so God is speaking to you today just as much to anyone else when he calls to you and says, choose life and follow me. And it's important to grasp here, friends, that God is treating Israel as one entity, one community, no matter what time in their history he's speaking to them in. Look at verse 13. That he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And so you see there, this is the same covenant, the covenant that we looked at last week that God had made with Abraham. These are Abraham's descendants. And God is saying, I'm treating you and your children the same way that I treated your fathers and their fathers. You're getting the same covenant promises that I made to them. And notice, and so that's the the first party, the the people of Israel. And the second party, of course, is the Lord God, Yahweh himself. And again, as we saw with Abraham last week, the emphasis in this covenant renewal is very much on what God has done and what God is promising. Notice verse 12. That you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God, which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you. Notice how similar the language is here with what he said to Abraham. He is coming to you. He is making the covenant. He will establish you. And so those are the two parties of the covenant. The Lord, the ruler, God coming to the chosen party, the Israelites and their children. And then the promises made as part of this covenant. There's the two parties involved in the covenant. There's the promises made in the covenant. And again, if you cast your eye back over Deuteronomy 28, uh, you'll see the promises that God made to Israel and they're divided into blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Uh, And those blessings and curses, friends, they are all encompassing. Uh, they're, They're conclusive. You can read through them later and you'll see that they cover every part of life for the Israelites, from bearing children to farming their land to their national security. Every part of life would be blessed if the people obeyed God's commandments and God's laws. And equally, every part of life would be cursed and the people punished if they did not obey God's commandments. And those promises of blessing or curse, they're they're repeated very briefly in summary form in chapters 29 and 30. Uh, Chapter 29, verse 23, for example, uh, describes the land being totally destroyed, ruined. And when people might ask in the future why this has happened, look what the answer will be, verse 25. 
Then people will say, it is because they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshipped them. And so again, he's saying there will be blessings for obedience. There will be curses for disobedience. The promises that God makes to the people. And then the action required. That's the last part of the format of this covenant renewal. The action required. God comes to Israel. God gives his commandments and makes his promises. What are the people to do? They're to obey. They're to obey. Look at chapter 30 verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you. But... Verse 17, if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall, excuse me, that you shall surely perish. Obedience is to be the response to God's covenant. It's the same thing that God required of Abraham. Genesis 17, 1, walk before me and be blameless. Blameless, obedient. So here we have the format of the covenant, friends. We have the two parties involved. Yahweh, the Lord, God, and his chosen people, the Israelites. We have the promises that God makes to those people. And we have the response required of those people. Obedience. And yet there, there we have a problem, don't we? Because not the people and not Abraham and not us, none of us, have perfectly obeyed the commandments of God. Husbands, have our wives seen nothing but consistency from us in our speech and in our actions? Wives, have your husbands seen that from you? Boys and girls, are, are you always obedient to your parents the instant that they ask you to do something? Do they never have to ask twice for you to do anything? Have they never had to punish you for disobedience? Men and women, do we always love to obey the commands of God? Do we always believe that obedience is the way to blessing? Rather than other things that we think are going to bless us instead. The answer to all of that is no. God has graciously come, offering us life and land and love. And even though we may well have made commitments to him, we don't always abide by those commitments. And that brings us to the last thing to notice from this covenant renewal in Deuteronomy today. And that is the heart of this covenant renewal. The heart of this covenant renewal. There's a little word It appears five or six times throughout the passages that we read. And it's the word heart. Heart. Look at chapter 29 verse 4 for example. But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. 
Chapter 29, verse 18. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is, turn, is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of the nations. In the Bible, the heart is the center of who you are. It's the real you, so to speak. And what God is telling the Israelites here is that they need to be wholeheartedly committed to obeying him. Look at Deuteronomy 30 verse 11. Chapter 30 verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Look also at Deuteronomy 29 verse 29. Chapter 29 verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. What those verses mean, friends, is that it's not hard to find out what God commands us to do. There's no mystery about it. That's why it says in verse 29, the secret things belong to God. There are some things that God hasn't revealed to us. Like the date of the end of the world, for example. And many other things besides. There are some things that in this life we do not get answers to. But the revealed things are to be our concern and our focus. And the revealed things are God's commandments. And when it says that they're not too hard for us, it's not saying that it's not too hard for us to obey them, because it is hard for us to obey them as sinners. It's saying it's not too hard for us to find out what they are. And so there's no excuse for us to say that we don't know what God wants of us. Ten commandments, 613 other laws that God gave to the Israelites in the Old Testament era, here they are before us, written down in his word. But we have failed to keep these commandments because by nature, by nature we have sinful hearts. And as you and I prepare to sign that covenant commitment in a couple of weeks' time, friends, a necessary part of our preparation is to search our hearts and confess our sins. Isn't it true that so often our commitment to God and his word is so feeble? Many times have we been convicted of some sin during a sermon or during our daily devotions. And a few hours or a few days later, there we are, sinning again. How shallow our prayer life is at times. How, how little we even want to pray. And get more excited by checking football scores or booking the next holiday or scrolling through social media. How shallow is so much of what passes for worship today. Even if we're singing the Psalms or listening to scripture being read or preached, we often do it without any thought or love or care. How little time we spend talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe for some listening today, these things are not part of your life at all. It's not that you're feeble in your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Your love for the Lord Jesus is non-existent. You've never confessed your sin. You've never come to the point of asking, what must I do to be saved? And what you need is a new heart. You need to be, as Jesus said, born again by the, by the Spirit. And that's what God and his covenant grace friends promises to give to us. Look at Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. 
The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. There's one of those little gems of, of God's promises uh, buried, hidden in there in the Old Testament. Something that will flower and flourish the more you read the scriptures as we see those words fulfilled later in the scriptures. Physical circumcision, which is what the people were to carry out in those days, it involved the cutting away of human flesh. But it was only a sign, a picture, as baptism is today, of what needed to happen spiritually in the heart, the cutting away of sin. That's what we need, friends. We, we need uh, hearts that have, have sin cut away from them. We need new hearts that are wholehearted in their commitment to God. And God says here, that is what I will do for you. And friends, that is what Jesus Christ, the perfect law keeper, gives to us. Paul says in Romans 8 verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Listen, by sending his own son in the likeness of human, of, of human flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What he's saying there is Christ came and submitted himself to the law, that law that God gave here to the Israelites, that law that none of us could keep, and Jesus kept it. And he has given us his Spirit. If by faith in him we are walking in his ways, the Spirit gives us help, And gives us that heart to obey the commandments of God. We still wrestle with sin. Paul describes that back in Romans 7. That old sinful nature is still clinging on and fighting for dominion with us. But it doesn't have dominion over us. God has circumcised our hearts. He has given us new hearts. And washed away the guilt of our sin through Jesus Christ. Or listen as well to what Paul says. In Galatians 3.13, we we read this last week as well. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that Christ Jesus, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. See the language Paul is using there, the, the covenant language that he's using. Of curse and blessing. Jesus Christ takes the curse upon himself so that he can pour the blessing upon us. And we receive it, he says, through faith. The Spirit giving us new hearts. New hearts that can cry out in repentance and walk in obedience. That's the choice that covenant renewal puts before us, friends. To choose life To walk in obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit out of gratitude for all that Jesus Christ has done for us. Or to choose death. To go our own way. To live life as we please. And to reap the bitter consequences, the curses of the covenant. Jesus Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so obedience to God's commands is only possible by first trusting in God's Son. 
We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We look to him and his righteousness and his sacrifice in our place. And out of thankfulness for that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we commit ourselves to obeying him. Maybe that will mean renewed commitment to honouring our parents, boys and girls. Renewed commitment to remembering the Sabbath day as we thought about a few weeks ago. Renewed commitment to corporate and daily worship. Renewed obedience in our thought life. How we think about other people, how we talk about them. Renewed commitment to serving God with the gifts that he has given us in the church. Or maybe this is an opportune moment for you to come to Christ for the very first time. To confess your sins for the first time. To declare for the first time, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The only Redeemer of men. And in dependence on God's grace, I take him as my Saviour and Lord. And if you've done that in the past, friends, covenant renewal is an opportunity to confess our feelings, to ask for fresh grace, and to commit ourselves to renewed obedience. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. Amen.